Welcome to the Cowfish Show, an exploration in human evolution, raising consciousness, creating happiness, fulfillment, and love one soul at a time. I'm E.L. Brooks, a newly awakened soul on a mission to help people find their happiness and truth. And I'm Lindsay Kimura, a happiness explorer empowering humans in wisdom and understanding. The universe united us to share our passions. Welcome Welcome to to our show. Welcome back, everyone, to another special episode of The Cowfish Show. In this episode, I will be interviewing Eric Brooks, who is the co-host of The Cowfish Show, as you know, amongst many other things, which I was so impressed and just inspired when I found out what else you've done, Eric. So I'm going to introduce Eric, and then we'll get into some questions. And this is all related to his journey of transformation. Uh, So to give you background on Eric, Eric is the COO of Fourth Movement, a shared service company focused on social equity, providing a vehicle to accelerate equitable outcomes by removing barriers to entrepreneurship. Eric Groom, Virgin Group alumnus who was an integral part of the international core team who helped launch Now This Is Music Compilation. He has over a decade of experience in direct-to-consumer e-commerce models with two companies reaching eight-figure annual revenues. Eric founded and launched New Tribe, a Virgin America-funded founded, record label which generated annual revenues north of $40 million. Eric was the former executive VP of marketing and promotions for Priority Records, working with NWA, Ice Cube, and Dr. Dre. And just a little more about Eric, he's the former mentor at South Central Scholarship Program, a former board advisor for Musicians.com, and an angel investor. (laughs) So yeah, when I heard all of those things about Eric, I had no idea and I was so impressed. Uh, So just to give you guys a, a background on how Uh, and where Eric has all of this experience in his career. Um, So now I'm going to ask you, Eric, uh, why do you want to share your story with us today? Uh, Today, you know, I wanted to do this kind of to help us all move in um, our authenticity, um, to kind of remove the mask that we typically wear, um, and to shed some light on the current pandemic uh, the economy, um, all of which is breaking us uh, individually on a financial uh, standpoint, not only financially, but also emotionally. Uh, and I do believe that we're kind of at risk, um, humanity that is, um, unless we find a way. And I think we need to be real and we need to talk about some real things. And so I was kind of motivated to share my, my transformation and my journey because of a recent phone call that I received from a loved one who had kind of reached the depths of depression uh, to the point that they wanted to take their own life. And it was kind of scary and it was kind of awakening. Um, and so I wanted to put together a podcast with your help um, to really give some insight and give some meaningful takeaways um, for us to be more resilient in these challenging times. And so we're gonna start off right away. Um, so I'd like for everybody to grab a pa- um, pen and paper Uh, Because I'm actually going to give you a whole bunch of little nuggets uh, starting right now, which are uh, 
three false beliefs that emotionally paralyze us um, and is the source for so much unnecessary pain. Um, the first belief is the belief that something will fix us. Um, it's usually that something is in the more, like more money, more accomplishments, more material things. Um, the second false belief is that someone will fix us, whether it's a friend or a lover, and it's usually around to fill the hole that unknowingly gets created during our child development and attachment phase. And then the third um, false belief, which is the most critical one, is the false tag that we place upon ourselves during this attachment phase and child development that affects our adult life. Um, it affects us in a way where it starts to deregulate our thoughts, our emotions, um, and it's known as emotional instability or emotional trauma. Um, and those things lead to dysregulated goals, dysregulated behaviors uh, that do not currently serve us. They actually started off initially as coping mechanisms, uh, and they started off as survival mechanisms through what we made believe the trauma that we endured, uh, our meaning-making machine um, interpreted that way and came up with these coping and, and survival methods that no longer serve us as adults. They become now maladaptive. And so... I wanted to bring some insight to that um, because current modalities, uh, current therapies and all of those things are pretty much, they concentrate on the mind, which is only 20% of the problem. Um, trauma is actually stored within the body. It's a somatic experience, which is why traditional therapy and some modalities don't necessarily yield sustainable results. So um, that was my motivation. Um, and so I want everybody to really kind of listen and tune in because there's going to be a lot of benefits that we'll be able to share today. Um, a lot more than any kind of therapy. I went to, ther I went to family therapy, uh, couples therapy, all of these different things. And no one ever really talks about this because it's kind of like new technology, new neuroscience in the last 20 some odd years or whatever. And so I know a lot of people are probably sitting there listening and saying, I'm ready to tune out because emotional trauma doesn't affect me, right? I have nothing to do with that. I've dealt with it. I've pushed it aside or whatever. Um, so what I want to do right now is just look at the top 10 symptoms of unresolved emotional trauma. And I think it is going to be eye-opening to you. So uh, symptom number one is anxiety. Uh, symptom number two is depression. Symptom number three is insomnia. So I think right then, with those top three alone, we probably have captured 70% of the world, the global population. Um, number four is shame. Number five is anger, that was mine. Um, number six is fear. Seven is perfectionism. Number eight is procrastination. Number nine is self-doubt. And number 10 is worthlessness. Um, and we'll be focusing on self-doubt and worthlessness um, uh, more so in, in, in this podcast. Now let's look at the couple of numbers, the national numbers here in the USA. If you still aren't a believer, 85% uh, of people responded to a national survey that they did not like their jobs. 17.3 million, uh, million adults, which is roughly 7% of the adult population, uh, have at least had one major depressive episode. 
And of those major depressive episodes, 64 or roughly of the adults and 71% uh, of adolescents had severe impairment um, after those um, episodes. The source of that was National Institute of Mental Health um, 2017. Now let's look at some extreme numbers. Um, once again, this is what motivated me was the call or, around um, a suicide attempt. Um, so 800,000 people die by suicide every single year, and that's roughly one person every 40 seconds. And for everyone that dies by suicide, uh, it's believed that there are 20 others that have attempted. Um, and so that's 16 million people. And the source of that is World Health Organization. And from a global standpoint, if we look at the numbers, um, it says only 4% of women in the world today consider themselves beautiful. Seven out of 10 women believe that they are not good enough. The source of that was Dove Studies, The Truth About Beauty. Um, and then last, 85% um, of the world's people suffer from some degree of lacking self-esteem. The source of that is Dr. Joe Rubino. And so what we don't talk about um, is emotional instability and the drastic impact um, that it has on the way that we parent, the way that we teach, the way that we learn, the way that we live, it impacts the quality of, of our lives um, as we receive it from our parents and we pass it downstream to our kids. And so it's, it's systemic. Um, emotional trauma metastasizes in shame and in secrecy. And so the antidote, um, besides healing, the antidote is really sharing, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to share my journey and, and share my story today. Now, Emotional trauma is an equal opportunist. Um, rich, poor, black, white, straight, gay, religion doesn't make a difference. Uh, no one is immune to emotional trauma. Uh, it shows up in different stages and it shows up in different degrees, but we all suffer. And so why is that? Again, um, I want this podcast to be informational and you have real takeaways. So, so I'm gonna give you another nugget. Um, so again, if you haven't grabbed a pen and paper, um, this is the time to do so. Um, so number one is how we, we, we get here is um, the realization of separation, which happens between the age just of four months and no later than 10 months, um, is when the, the child realizes that um, they are separate from the caregiver. Um, and then the caregiver starts to leave and it creates the separation anxiety, which is a real thing. And that creates the lack in the child because the child is like, um, once they have the realization that they're two different people and they're saying, why is this person leaving me? I must not be lovable. And so that creates the lack in the hole that all of a sudden we need to try and fill. The second um, most important thing is at that point in time, a child is now proving or on a mission to prove that they are worthy. And so the two hierarchy needs are the attachment of the caregiver and the authenticity of the child. But the authenticity of a child who's one years old looks like defiant behavior to a stressed out parent. And so what the stressed out parent does is tries to discipline the, the authentic behavior. And so the child starts to read the facial cues and starts to listen to the, to the tone of the caregiver. 
uh, the body language and the young meaning making machine that doesn't have any context yet um, usually defaults to when I act this way, my caregiver doesn't love me. And so they, what they end up doing is they sacrifice their authenticity not to compromise the attachment, even if the, the attachment is dysfunctional. Um, the detachment is so important that the child will actually die if they don't have any type of attachment. So that's how we um, form the lack and that's how we lose our identity. And so the interview today is really a process for you guys to kind of understand and get some resilient tools. And I'm going to walk you through, um, we're going to identify my false tag that I, that I placed on myself uh, we're going to identify my emotional trauma, and I'm going to show you how it showed up and played out in my lifetime before I actually was able to heal it. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, it seems particularly... Huh? What's that? <laughs> I said I was long-winded, huh? No, that's great. We, yeah, you have, me, you have me really interested. I feel like, especially during this time now where there's so much uncertainty and all of everyone's insecurities are coming up eventually, this yeah. is going to be and is such useful information because even things you were saying, like all the emotions and the symptoms, all that, I feel that personally a lot. And I know almost everyone at some point has that. Uh, so I just feel like it's super relatable for everybody. Yeah. Um, so thank you. I'm so glad you're, you're on today. Um, so my first question is, how was your childhood and upbringing, if you could just kind of provide that? Yeah, so I'm going to answer it in the context of obviously um, exposing um, and being authentic about certain things that I um, made my meaning making machine young, um, you know, had some false, false meanings. So um, I was a product of what is considered um, transitional characters. Uh, transitional characters are people that change the trajectory of their lineage um, by doing something kind of significant. And so both of my parents were the first to go to college out of their respectful um, families. And so what that ended up doing is it changed the trajectory of my life and I had access to a better life and better, better education and all these other things. Um, so with my mom, I had a very secure uh, attachment phase um, with her. I've, uh, I felt unconditional love from day one. Uh, there was never any issues and I still have that today with my mother. Um, and with my dad, that's where my trauma experience was. Um, so I'll talk about the good stuff because my dad was, was a great person. And I'm going to do it in the context of like from a different lens of now that I know what's what, what everything was happening. Um, so my dad instilled like really, really great values, military, great values, um, integrity, be a man of your words. Um, There's a lot of wisdom. He was very forward thinking and visionary, tried to get me into binary numbers to send it to computers as the wave of the future, <clears throat> which guess what? It is. Um <laughs> I didn't, I just didn't bite. I just, this wasn't part of me, but he, he, you know, he, he meant well. And I wish I could do like an imitation of my dad, but my dad, to be honest with you, was just a man of very few words. He was almost like E.F. Hutton. Um, but the words that he spoke actually, um, you know, he gave me really good nuggets that really stick with me today and actually created the person who I am. And so on the good side, um, there's three things that he told me that still stick to me today. And he was like, um, as long as you have your mind and you have your passion, 
You can do anything in your life. Um, and so what that did to me is I, I played big, I gambled big and I, and I, I had no ceilings of, of what I was able, able and capable of doing. Uh, number two was never work for a paycheck. Um, and number three, which I think was very like ahead of his time and I didn't understand it at the time, but he was like, don't judge anybody unless you can walk in their shoes. And since that's virtually impossible, the message and the takeaway was just don't judge anybody. Um, and he had the statement that I, that I have written down. And I want to read to you guys today um, because it's so profound and it's so, it's, it's, it's so very telling. And so his whole thing about judgment and the reason why we shouldn't judge, he says, judgment is a series of conclusions we bought and sold to ourselves after seeing, learning or knowing something. But it often changes with new information as we tend to initially jump to conclusions with false information we made up. Um, and that's very telling to what we're gonna get into today, which is comes back to our automatic trauma response. And so I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves, but um, it's kind of funny how full circle that it becomes. Um, and so that was all the good stuff. And all the bad stuff that I have to say was, again, was in my head, um, was my dad was, emotionally unavailable because of his unresolved trauma um, that I now know. Um, and so he had abandonment issues. And so what that did is that it, he lacked the tools to be able to kind of relate and be empathetic and show love and be love. Um, and so you simply cannot give what you don't have. And so he was not able to give that to me, which caused me a lot of, you know, which doubled down on my not feeling good enough. And so since we now know that um, emotional trauma is systemic, it initially taught me also to be emotionally unavailable, not really show my emotions, not be able to process my emotions. And so what that ended up doing was I had a lot of anger. And I know some of my friends that are listening to this right now is like, he was such a lovable cat. <laughs> anger, like, no, but I had internal anger that I was able to kind of work out through football, through wrestling, through music, creative um, outputs. But um, I did, I had anger, I have to be honest. I had, there was a lot of anger. I can go from zero to a hundred like that. Um, and so what that did is it created my tag, which was my specific tag was I'm not good enough and I'm not lovable because you know, if my dad loved me, he would have been there for me. And I didn't know at the time that he had abandonment issues and he had unresolved emotional trauma that he had not been able to process and he couldn't be there. He couldn't do, he couldn't, like I said, he, you can't, you cannot give what you don't have. Um, but I internalized it and said that I must not be lovable. And so that, what that did is it developed my initial attachment phase, which was anxious. And if you look at an anxious attachment phase, um, it's their biggest fear is fear of rejection uh, and an attachment, uh, an anxious attachment person always ruminates uh, about past issues. And so I was always like, why is my dad at my football games? Why isn't he doing this? Why isn't he doing that? And what that does is just it doubles down on the negative self-talk. So my um, personal tag plus my uh, uh, attachment style uh, made me an overachiever, um, which was a good thing, but I was always looking to to please, and I was always looking to prove that I was worthy, specifically to my father. So I was looking for his approval, I was looking for his affection, I was looking for his attention. So, yeah. 
Wow, so interesting. Thank you, Eric. And so from, you know, childhood, you then grew, right? And how would you say your adult life became before you really had some type of an awakening or transformation or pivotal moment? Um, so for me, um, I was a, I'm a hustler, baby. I was a hustler. Um, um, I was a go-getter. Um, I, I was, I call it, I was well fleeing, not well being, um, because my dad died at the age, um, when I was 20. And so I never received his approval and his affection and his attention in my mind. Right. And so I had a new quest at that point in time, I was in college um, and it was still fueled by anger, but my anger now was to prove him wrong. So it was almost vengeance. It was like, you know, and, and, and it's so crazy. Like, you know, my dad fucking dies and I'm like sitting here mad at him for checking out and, and leaving. Um, so it was crazy how the mind works. So, um, like I said, the, the good things that, it, that my dad instilled in me was to play big. And so, um, I was able to manifest from day one. Um, like I, I applied to University of Miami, only one college got in. Um, and then I, I knew that music at that point in time was a big part of my life. And I knew um, once I switched over and didn't want to become a musician uh, and wanted to be behind the scenes, I was like, I'm going to own my own label, which sounded craziest. Um, but I did. Uh, at age 25, I founded my own label that Virgin funded um, and then I bought my first house and then that's where the overachievement comes in. And that's where the whole climbing and what Brene Brown calls acquiring and accomplishing. Um, so I was on fast track. I was a millionaire by the time I was 30. I was a multimillionaire by the time I was 40. Um, but by the time I was 40, um, I had this kind of sigh and I, and there's something I'm going to read later on, but it was, it's the, it's the exact feeling that I had, um, because I had accomplished a lot of things and I just felt like I had crossed the finish line, but the finish line was so um, unrewarding and it just, I, I was kind of lost and I had kind of lost my spark because I was no longer mad. Um, because by this time my dad had come to visit me three different times. The first one was very magical and was kind of made peace. Um, and so what that did is it immediately disconfirmed my false belief that my dad didn't love me and he wasn't there for me because for someone to kind of visit you from beyond the grave, that's, that's fucking love right there. Right. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so he visited me, you know, two more times. And so it really confirmed the fact that my dad didn't love me. Um, and so I was living the American dream, but I was not happy. So I, you know, I grew up in Maryland. Um, and this goes back to the list of some things that's supposed to happen, um, ha happen or make us happy or whatever. So I, you know, Maryland, um, Potomac, Maryland was like the Beverly Hills of, of, of Maryland. And so I, I manifested and I built a mansion in, in Potomac. Um, I built my dream house in pa uh, Pacific Palisades, uh, had a mini mansion in, in Palm Springs. I had always manifested, um, cars. I had every car that, that I ever wanted, which, you know, from Ferraris to Porsches to at the time when this was happening, I had a Lamborghini and, and a whole bunch of, um, AMG Mercedes mm -hmm. and my own business that was generating eight figures, um, which allowed me a seven figure income. 
Um, and so in the eyes of society, I had every, everything, um, but inside I had nothing. Um, and it's a phase that I recently learned um, that's called outwardly successful, inwardly tortured. And if you look at like Anthony Bourdain, you look at Robin Williams, you look at Prince, Kate Spade, Mark Spelling, uh, or Siling, uh, I think his name was, the, the guy on Glee. Um, and even like I just watched last night, um, the Steve Jobs movie. Steve Jobs was a outwardly successful, inwardly tortured. I mean, he was a tortured soul. He was, had so much anger um, that I think that his anger kind of led to his, 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 his early death. Um, so if we go back to the three false lies that I, that I shared early on, it's like all the things that, that are supposed to fix, fix us wasn't fixing me. It, it actually made, made it worse because um, it produced more questions. Um, that someone is supposed to fix us. I was married at this point in time and I had my unresolved uh, trauma, uh, emotional trauma, and she had her unresolved emotional trauma. Um, at the time, I was thinking that's the final piece of the puzzle, right? Because it was kind of going on and just kind of acquiring and accomplishing things. It's like, oh, I need to be married. Okay, I need to share this with somebody. Um, but that was now becoming very difficult. And then I had my tag was still um, lying dormant. And we call, I call it like kind of the silent killer um, or the silent voice. Um, and so there's a guy that I did a lot of research around and his name is Dr. Um, Gaber Mati. I always jack his name up, Dr. Gaber Mati. Um, and he talks about the systemic problem that we have, especially in Western civilization, about around society's uh, narrative of society's race. And I'm gonna read this, this is something that you guys should write it down because it's, it's pretty profound to me, I think. Um, and what he talks about is like, we are teaching our children to participate in society's race. The objective of all races is to get to the finish line the quickest to win. But in life, the finish line is death. So what we are teaching, so what, what are we really teaching them? Goals of success and material things are not the answer. And when they are achieved, they create misery and produce more questions. When they are not achieved, they produce negative self-talk and misery. So in society's race, there are no winners. And that's exactly how I felt. I felt, um, I felt like I was living America's dream, but I wasn't happy. And so it, it really caused me to be more introspective. Um, I remember looking in, and this is where like, I, I say that anything that you kind of want and you want it, you consciously or unconsciously manifest. Um, so I was seeking, I was always seeking sustainable happiness. I didn't know that. Um, but so I started getting these breadcrumbs or, or, or um, kind of angel type of um, moments. And so I remember looking in my housekeeper's eyes, who wasn't really our housekeeper. She was more of an extension of the family. Um, and in society's eyes, she really had nothing, but she had everything. Because every time I looked in her eyes, she was just happy. She was just full of love. Um, and I was just wondering why I was creating a lot of intrigue. I remember we went to Bora Bora on this crazy um, vacation um, that I didn't even really get to enjoy because I was working through it. But um, we had a jet ski instructor um, was uh, taking us around and, and then there's this place where you kind of stop and you have lunch and it's about um, kind of waist high water. Oh, is that of, a Hotel Bora Bora? Uh, it's the Four Seasons in Bora Bora, oh, okay. yeah. 
And then um, you have lunch with the stingrays and stingrays are kind of like, you know, swimming around, but I was not focused on that. I was just like, this guy had this look in his eyes. I was like, that's that look again. Um, and so I asked him and he's like, you know, him and his wife, he said they went on vacation about a year ago and then they came back from that vacation. They said, we have life all wrong. <clears throat> so they actually sold everything. Uh, they quit their jobs. They moved uh, and they simplified life. And he said, I have lunch with my wife every single day. I, dr- I take my kids to school in the morning. I do, you know, three tours and during the off season, I work at the hotel. And, and I was like, that's, you know, that's that look. On that same trip, we made a, uh, met a couple. And so all these little things were happening and like dropping like little hints and seeds, planting seeds in my head. We met a couple that ironically was also from the Palisades. Um, they were on their baby moon and they had a very successful company, like almost like a $60 million company that they were shutting down. They were like, you know what? We're not happy. We're at each other's throats. Um, there's more important things to life. And we just kind of want to take a step back and, and, and kind of reassess. Um, and so that started trickling in my kind of downward spiral to a certain extent, because I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, you know, I'm not happy. You know, my, my, my wife at the time wasn't really necessarily happy. And then two, 2010 was a pivotal year for me um, because I started becoming dysregulated because it was the biggest challenges that I've ever faced. And I didn't necessarily have the tool. I had a lot of business tools, but I didn't have a lot of resilient tools. This is one of the reasons why I want to do this, you know, I wanted to do this podcast today. Um, so I think I was 43 at that time and I cruised through life um, manifesting everything that I ever wanted. And the only hiccup that I ever had was my father's death that I thought I had dealt with, but I, I didn't really. And it's, so once again, my tag was laying dormant and it was about to be activated. So 2010, I was faced with seven deaths, um, friends, acquaintances, uh, business um, people. Um, and so what death does, the energy of death, the grief puts you in a, a very sad um, and very low um, vibrational energy. And so um, I just had a lot of things happening. Death was around. I got sued. Um, and and then uh, my company was the third largest in the space. And so the first uh, largest company in that space uh, got shut down by federal regulators. And the second one filed for bankruptcy. And so then the attorney general sent out a letter to my company thinking that birds of a feather flocked together. Um, nothing ever came about it, but I was like, you know, that's another form of trauma. It was like, you, you're meant to believe that good things happen to good people um, and bad things happen to bad, bad people, but bad things can also happen to good people because there's also the universal law of not, uh, universal law number nine, which is the law of relativity, which in short means that life happens for us, not to us. And so a lot of the negative things, including death, um, including set or, or initially looked at as setbacks. Um, so in, even in this pandemic, there's a lot of people, there's 30, 30 plus million people that are out of work. And that's obviously viewed as a setback. Um, but everything is supposed to happen to uh, happen for us to move us from this kind of ego, self, selfish, entitled um, behavior into more gratitude, um, which is more of our higher self. Um, but we don't, obviously we don't view it that way when it's 
when it's happening. Bad things um, happen to good people. We don't always view it that way. And so um, the universal uh, law number nine is the law of relativity. And in short, what that is supposed to do is it's, it tells us that life happens for us, not to us. Um, but we're always usually in a victim level. And so we view all of the bad things that are happening to us as setbacks, but it's actually meant to move us from a selfish, entitled um, type of mindset and to move us into gratitude and, or, and to be more of our higher selves. Um, but as, like I said, we don't necessarily recognize that happening at the time. Uh, and we just go back into the woe is me kind of thing. And that's where I was at. I was victim level. And I was like, why is all this shit happening? And why is it all happening at once? Um, and so my primal or our, our primal um, response um, when things become overwhelming is for, uh, is for us to shut down. We, we revert back to a primal um, response, which is anytime that we feel threatening or whatever, we actually become very docile and we just shut down. And so that's what actually started happening to me. Um, so it impacts your health. It impacts all your relationships. It's not very cool. And so at that point in time, I started spiraling. I was on the verge of losing my family. And then I had another baby that was on the way. And so I did something very drastic. I shut down my company. Um, I just fell under the pressure and I was like, I shut it down. Um, and I did it in a time where I think my monthly, my monthly nut, personal nut was like 75,000 a month. And so I had no answers and I was just like, I'm about to go crazy, I'm about to, but I, I need to, before I go insane, um, I need to, um, I need to slow it down, so. Wow. And yeah, Eric, one thing that struck me about what you've, you shared, and also we talked about this in prior, se- I think season one, is actually you went through the entire American dream, which is the promise of health, wealth, happiness. So it's not like your fault that you did that. You've always been a seeker of happiness. It's just that the American dream that's kind of uh, cultivated and uh, portrayed by society does not, as you've discovered and many others, bring fulfillment on its own. Um, So yeah, that was interesting. Yeah. Um, so I have another question for you, Eric. Uh, can you describe the pivotal moment that catalyzed your awakening, if it was one moment or many, um, or just something that kind of stood out to you? Yeah, and so this is where I want to be authentic and, you know, trying not to be emotional. Um, but I do want to be very, very um, open, right? And so for me, the pivotal um was um, my trip to the dark side. Um, and so I was October 18th, 2016. Um, and they say that there's, you can't really live until a part of you dies. Um, and just before I get into the serious stuff, I want to say like, what's the, the, the straw that broke, broke my back was um, I was, you know, in the house, um, we had two kids at this, at this time. Um, and, then I had conceded like, okay, I'm, I'm the third priority. I get it. Two kids are in front of me. Not a problem. I understand I'm the same way. 
Um, but then we got this um, bearded dragon lizard. And I remember <laughs> my came home and she greeted the two kids and then she made a beeline to the lizard. <laughs> I was like, oh no, I'm not, I'm not going to be number four. I'm not trying. <laughs> and so there's a quote that Robin Williams um, had that resonated with me. And it was like, I used to think that the worst thing in life was to be alone. And it's not. He said, the worst thing in life is ending up with people who make you feel all alone. And that's how I felt. And so October 2016, um, I had rented a fully furnished condo and I did a, a temporary lease of three months because I was just really wanted to kind of get away, uh, clear my head. And so I packed up my clothes and I moved uh, and it was uh, like around dawn, I guess, or whatever. Um, what is, what's the late one? Is it dawn, right? Dusk? What is oh, dusk? dusk? Yes. When the sun's going down. Sun going down. Yeah. I was okay. So, um, and then it was not too far away from the house because, um, you know, obviously I didn't check out and leave the kids or anything like that. I just moved out of the house and still was, um, being responsible, but that was like kind of the longest, longest fucking day in my life, to be honest with you. Um, and it was pain that I had never felt before. Um, I remember um, walking into the apartment um, and, and I remember the need for silence um, because I don't know if you've ever been really, really overwhelmed, but it's just, it just seemed for me like there was just all this noise that was constantly around and around. And obviously at that point in time, um, me and my ex were fighting a lot. And so I remember walking in and hearing it's just silence. Like I can hear my footsteps. I can hear um, everything. And um, I went, you know, and I'm going to be real. I hope not get emotional, but I'm, I, I remember going to the edge of the bed um, and then just putting my, my head in my hands and, and um, trying to hold back the, the emotions and stuff like that. And then I just ended up laying back on the bed um, and just kind of staring up at the wall. And then at, uh, by this time it was kind of getting dark, it was still natural light, but I didn't turn the light on. Um, and then I just remember having pain that I never, never really felt, um, before. Um, and I started crying like a little baby. Um, because at this point in time, like my confidence level was at a zero. Um, I was emotionally bankrupt. Um, um, I felt like a failure in every aspect. Um, I was broken uh, emotionally and figuratively because I had just snapped my patella tendon like a, a few months ago. Um, so I was mending. Um, so I was, I was literally rock fucking bottom. Um, and, um, and I was experiencing my two biggest fears. If we go back to like my attachment style. Um, so I was, um, feeling like I was not being good enough, right? Because I feel like a failure. I always protected myself because um, so I made myself mostly unavailable to avoid the pain. Um, but at this point in time, I was not feeling loved. I wasn't feeling worthy. I definitely wasn't feeling enough. Um, and I felt like the night was not going to end. I just felt like this night was just going to continue to go on and go on and go on. Um, and I remembered my work um, for some reason. Um, 
when I was I was looking at doing a show around suicide prevention because suicide has always been um, something that I wanted to participate in and, and to try and help prevent. Um, and I my studies in working with therapists um, shed light on an insight that I remembered and it came to me that night. It's like um, people that commit suicide, they don't want to take their lives. What, what, what is always communicated is that there's a, a level of pain that they just want to stop. And so, you know, full disclosure, I never, um, you know, was never thinking suicide or anything like that, but I did have thoughts of like, maybe, maybe my kids, maybe my family is better off without me. Um, I you know, had life insurance and I was like, you know, maybe it's just better for them and I don't want to get emotional um, <clears throat> just for me not to be here. And so I kind of remember um, I'm laying back looking at the ceiling and um, I call for my dad because my dad had been there had come to visit me three times, um, but it was always unannounced and it was always around something. And so this time I actually was calling for him. Um, and it was, it was no response. Um, and then the pain just started getting worse and worse. And then um, um, kind of a miracle, to be honest with you, a miracle kind of started to take place where I literally, because I was able, and I know this now, but I didn't know it then, but I always was able to manifest certain things. And so I literally, I asked two questions. I asked, um, I'm trying not to get emotional, but I asked, um, how, how do I, how did I get here? And then the second one was, how do I get, how do I get the hell out of here so that I'll never end up here again? Um, and I wanted to find that sustainable joy. Um, I'm sorry, try not to. Um, and so um, that's where the, the, the miracle happened. And these are kind of tears of joy. So um, um, two things happened immediately. And, I, and to this day, I don't know if it was my dad. I don't know if it was, um, you know, the universal creator or whatever, however you want to call it. But, um, <laughs> and I, I didn't expect this at all. I really thought that I was going to um, keep together. But, um, and these are tears of joy, to be honest with you. Um, but I got, I had immediate answers and clarity. And it was, it was profound. It was like um, the voice said that you got here for false messages that you placed on yourself. And then the second one was, and this is probably why I'm crying, is like your your two boys did not ask for you to be, they didn't ask for this. Uh, and your actions are actually repeating the same cycle that you're trying to avoid. And so the voice clearly said, get your shit together and I'll show you the way. And like I said, to this day, I don't know, I don't think it was my dad because my dad my dad came to me it was it was a very distinct energy that i that i felt um and this one was different so you know um through my research around ayahuasca um ayahuasca is a, is a way to heal your emotional trauma and they talk about that it activates three parts of the brain um the visual the memory and the awareness 
And it actually gives you the ability to purge the truth. So unlike sitting with a therapist, you can't hide. The ayahuasca just forces out this truth. Um, and this, it gives you the ability to kind of observe your own thoughts. And that's what I had. I don't know. I can't explain it. It's like I didn't have ayahuasca. I've never taken ayahuasca. But I had some sort of trans, transcendent um, episode where I was conscious, but I literally, there was a voice in my head. It wasn't my voice. It was my, you know, I don't know if it was my dad's or whatever it was, but, um, that happened. It gave me hope. Um, I've always was at that point, I was still entitled and arrogant. And so, uh, I remember asking and making an arrangement. I said, if, if I get the answers, cause I remember the last part was like, get your shit together. I'll show you the way. And so I, I remember asking if if I get the answers to sustainable health um, and sustainable joy, that I will be of service uh, to help others find their way and to remove impediments. Um, and so the night ended. Uh, I think I you know cried myself to sleep or whatever. And the next day I woke up and literally. Um, I started researching. Um, I started journaling. I don't journal. Like, what the fuck? Like, I started journaling. <laughs> <laughs> and, and everything just started flowing into, and, and the information started pouring in. The right books showed up. The right video showed up. The right articles showed up. Um, and literally, like, I just, I, I documented everything. Um, and then, you know, um, two more miracles happened. My dad came to me in 2017. Um, and I think I was on my way to trans transitioning into like spiritual love or whatever, um, because this visit, my dad always visited me, um, in my space. And this time I was at, um, at a young lady's place. And it was the quickest visit and it was the funniest visit because he just kind of showed up and basically was like, you need the one. Um, and, and, <laughs> and it was kind of funny and it's like, I felt him. And that's why it's like the, you know, the, that night, I don't know who that was because when my dad comes to me and that was the last time he came to me so far, um, was 2017. Um, I, there's just an energy that I can feel right away. And then, um, in September, 2018, once again, like I was on this path and doing this research and I was really right on the brink of having my breakthrough. Um, and I just asked for another proof, like prove, prove something to me and something that I can't really talk about happened on September 18th. And that was the, the, the final thing that I was like, okay, now I know, I know, I know what the deal is. And so I had um, the last piece, which for me was a called a rapid transformational therapy where you actually heal your trauma. Like there's a lot of places out there where it, it can teach you how to acknowledge and identify your trauma, but very few places teach you how to heal your trauma. And so this was an RTT is called rapid transformational therapy where you actually go back to your, in my case, it was my five-year-old self. Um, and you kind of sit down, you, you float in, to the place that you lived at the time and you kind of embrace your five-year-old self and you hug them and you, you ask that their five-year-old version of yourself of series of questions um, 
And then you basically say that you are now going to take care of them. You're going to be their ride or die. There's nothing's ever going to happen to them. Um, and then you kind of just become one and it's kind of sounds crazy, but it's, it's, it's very therapeutic. And for me, that healed me. And so almost to the day, um, August, I mean, October 16th, 2018 is when I had my physical breakthrough. And um, now that I've done the research, I couldn't articulate it back then. But now that I do the research and I know exactly what happens in your body, it's like a, a vagus nerve is like your highway, your communication highway. Um, and it's the, it's the cable that basically connects your um, your mind, which is your consciousness, to your body, which is, believe it or not, is called your unconsciousness. And so everything below like the diaphragm, um, you know, we hold um, into our body. Like it's, we store, we, we keep stress, we keep a whole bunch of different things in our body, um, which, which is the reason why we can make ourselves sick when we, when we don't resolve these trauma, right? We keep this, it's bottled energy. And when you just keep it, it's almost like, you know, if you're in a pool and you're trying to hold down a, a, a beach ball, um, you know, after a while, like if you just slip one way, like it's just going to all surface and come up. And that's, that's what happens to a lot of us. That's what's happening to a lot of people right now. It's called the automatic trauma, re um, trauma response when people just go from zero to a hundred. Um, and so for me, um, I felt the physical release. So it's like, just think of like a, 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 a like you're just wringing out a cloth and you just, it's really, really tight and you have, you hold all of your stress and all your tension and all your trauma in there. Um, and for me, when I transitioned into what I believe was like spiritual love, um, which is moving really into the heart space and out of your brain, um, um, I felt like this kind of release. It was, I can't, you know, I mean, that's the best I can describe it. It's like, I, I felt the physical transformation. Um, uh, and what it is, is like, you, it's, it's like you've been there before because our natural default when we're born is happy. Um, our natural default is to cooperate, is not to compete. And so what ends up happening is all of the society imprinting um, kind of overrides our natural software setting, if I, if, if, you know, just to use an analogy. So we, we, we're born with this um, software that gets overwritten by us really kind of being human. And so I arrived at that state. I still had a lot of learning to, to, to do because um, Western civilization and education teaches us to, that everything's a destination. So initially when I um, had my physical breakthrough, I was like, oh, I'm spiritual love now. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought that, it was, you know, that I would never get triggered again and all this other stuff. But that's not true. Like it's, it's everything's in action. So everything has to be cultivated. And so I had to learn to, to cultivate. It's not that you just arrive. You have to, in order to stay there, you have to cultivate. So. And Eric, was that in your whole body you felt the release or was it a particular body part? So for me specifically, like I use the example of road rage, right? Um, and, and, so what we are, like we're space and time and our senses make us know that we're alive. And so then we have stimulus and then there's this choice to respond to the stimulus, whether it's positive or negative, right? 
And so what's happening right now is that all these uncertainties, we, we get into a fight or flight mode. And so our fight or flight defenses are automatic and it's based around our emotional trauma. And so um, it becomes very automatic. Um, and so for me to use an analogy for road rage, I would always get triggered because I was thinking like that person's like doing something to impede my, my journey. <laughs> it was very, it's an entitled kind of approach or whatever, but um, what ends up happening is for me that I used to have that anger and I used to feel it in my gut. Like, you know what I mean? Like when you just, um, I would feel it in, in, in my gut. I don't know where other people feel it. And so, um, what I, now that I, what I describe it now is like, you still get triggered, but it's almost like if you, if you remember the matrix, which is one of my favorite movies, um, the last encounter when Neo faces the agents, um, and he's down the hallway and they fire the bullets at him. And then all of a sudden he slows down time. And then he actually picks the bullet up and he looks at it and then he flexes. And so that's how kind of, um, inner pieces to a certain extent, it seems like everything is slowed down. So you're actually able to receive the stimulus. You can get triggered, but your response to it is like you, you it's almost like you have all this time. It's like, you know, why is this triggering me? Um, you know, should, how should I react? And so it allows you to be more proactive as, as, as instead of reactive um, because you have more control over what I used to call that fire pit in my belly. And so I don't have that anymore. Love that. My cat is now sitting on my question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Eric, um, I think this will be my last question because you've shared so much valuable information thus far. Um, do you have any guidance or takeaways for anyone looking to improve their current emotional state to arrive at inner peace? Uh, yeah. So um, to recap, I say in short, we all have emotional trauma that was developed through our childhood. Um, and to um, give like the statements that Dr. Gabber Mati, I was like I said, I, that name was <laughs> uh, whether it's low tra trauma like I had, um, which was like parent neglect or anything like that, um, or to high trauma, which is like sexual or physical abuse. Um, uh, it's all trauma is subjective. So my trauma is 100% like equal to someone who may have been sexually abused or anything like that. Trauma is trauma. Um, and so what ends up happening is like things happen to us as childs by our meaning making machine. Um, and then we adapt and take on defensive ways of being based upon what we perceived happened. Um, and then we live the rest of our lives until we heal it from those defensive modes, which, no, which forms our automatic trauma response. And so now knowing that um, and knowing that everyone's kind of on edge and within the uncertainties and the pandemic uh, and, um, you know, people losing their jobs and stuff like that, I would say that the first thing that I think we all need to do is that acknowledge that we're all suffering at some degree uh, and I think we need to stop judging behavior, including our own behavior. And we need to start asking why the behavior. There's a series of five questions when you ask, like, why the behavior, why the thoughts, why the actions, all this other stuff. You can kind of get down to your specific 
um, emotional trauma. Um, and the other thing is like we have a smart brain, um, but we're also now learning through neuroscience that we have our body is just as smart. And so when we tell our body that we're happy or when we have happy thoughts, our body responds because we have these very smart, intelligent cells. Uh, and the same thing happens when we tell our body, uh, when we tell ourselves it's sad. And so the body goes back from these uh, moments of happiness and sad. And so the thing um, that we now know is that our thoughts magnify the physical impact on our body. So if we have good vibes, um, um, the body responds and we have an energy and we can just do a whole bunch of different things. And same thing if we have bad vibes, negative self-talk um, specifically, um, that can create, um, you know, slunching over um, and the drastic part of that is it creates chronic illnesses. And so this means that we need to be more intentional about our actions around our thoughts, around our parenting, around love, around learning, and just being especially, um, you know, around others. Um, and I like to say, like, to think of life, um, because I know there's a lot of people that are unfriending people and they're, um, they're just like, you're either you're with me or you're against me. Um, and that's uh, what the shamans and gurus talk about. That's closing off parts of your life, which is like dying in installments. And so think of like life always imitates nature to a certain extent. So if you think of a flower um, that's blossoming, it's open. Life is all about being open. So we have to be open around our thoughts, around our beliefs. Um, and because anything that we close off, whether it's being hate, uh, hatred or jealousy or anything like that closes off a part. Um, we're telling parts of our bodies that um, to shut down. And it's it's it's, it's kind of like dying in installments. Um, number three would be um, to know that our greatest source of all of our suffering is usually the lies that we tell ourselves. Um, and most of our lies res res reside in our subconscious. So. Um, I would challenge you guys to find out what your individual tags are uh, and try to eliminate them. Um, and then the last is that I, through my research, I have this formula for achieving inner peace, which is uh, inner peace is the sum of, and this acronym for ASL, SP, and ER. And so what ASL stands for is your authentic self-love. Uh, and what that does is it helps eliminate the not good enough story uh, it helps eliminate judgment and shame because shame is actually what metastasizes our emotional trauma. Um, and it makes us less reactive and more proactive and immune to criticism when we have a, a foundation of self-love. Um, SP stands for soul purpose. Um, soul purpose helps us to eliminate the seeking desire, um, the, the need to fill that hole um, because when we find our, our sole purpose, we actually become whole uh, and we no longer need to fill it. And so the key is always around the services to other people, um, which further strengthens our notion of that we're all one. The universal law number one is the divine oneness, that we're all are the same. Um, and it immediately takes us out of the society's race when we find our purpose. Uh, and the last one, ER, is emotional regulation, uh, which helps us to increase the awareness around emotional trauma and talk about it and share it. 
and it helps us to be more compassionate as once we are able to embrace our emotional trauma, we're able to kind of reside in a more calming Vegas state and not our automatic tra- trauma response state. Um, we can use our body to serve us because right now I think a lot, we're, we're using our body as major threat detections, um, but we don't know what the, how to discern real threats from fake news threats. Um, so we're buying into all of these different things that's uh, allowing us to shut off and close off from, in, from each other when we actually need to, to be more open and uh, more tolerant. Um, and so when we do that and have emotional regulations, it actually expands our what is called um, auto, autonomic um, um, nervous system to be more relaxed in more, in more scenarios. Um, and then um, all I'd say is I'm putting together, because like I said, my, my, my arrangement and agreement was to be of service. And so I am putting together curriculum to help people become transitional characters um, to actually change the trajectory of their lineage. And so that they're not passing their emotional trauma downstream to their children. Um, and so I've reverse engineered, like the journaling was for a reason. I didn't know it at the time, but the journaling allowed me to reverse engineer my process of how I arrived there. Um, and I spent over 10,000 hours of research, curated the best information uh, to put together like a pragmatic, very simple approach around four pillars, which I cleverly named HELP. Uh, it's an acronym for health, um, environment, uh, the L stands for love, and the P stands for pers- perspective. And it, it allows us to, to build um, and, and, and have insight into being wholehearted um, around a physical and psychological safety um, that is missing. Uh, and the last thing that I want to leave you guys with is uh, an experiment. So there was something during my research that's called the Enough Mirror, where um, they did a seminar, and I think it was like 300 or 1,000 people. Um, and they all participated in the Enough Mirror experience, uh, where they wrote down, I am just the simple three words, I am enough on a mirror with using a lipstick. Um, you can use a post-it note or whatever, but what it, what it, now that we know that um, some people have up to 70, believe it or not, 75,000 negative thoughts within a day um, by having um, a positive or a reminder of positive thoughts, especially around now where a lot of parents are doing distance learning with their children uh, they're doing work from home. There's a lot of stress uh, around the family and there's a lot of probably um, overwhelmingness, like people that don't have it together and, and, and probably beating themselves up. I would challenge everybody to remember that you are enough and I would challenge you to put either a post-it or write that I am enough um, statement on your mirror and then um, kind of track yourself in 30 days like the, like the experiment did. And they showed that it was a profound increase in self-esteem just by visiting the mirror every you know multiple times a day and and, and having that reminder um something that would be very beneficial so i want to thank everybody for listening uh, i want to thank you Lindsay, for participating um i'm sorry i got all emotional there i was trying to keep it together um 
but you know, once again, this was stepping outside of myself to help other people. Um, because when I got that call, like it was, it was kind of scary for my friend, obviously. Um, but I wanted to be vulnerable and show my, you know, my journey of, and all of the pitfalls that I went through based upon a lot of these false narratives that we, that we buy into, um, and so if this has been beneficial to anybody, I do encourage people to pay it forward and pass it on to someone who you think may benefit. Um, and, uh, and that's it, unless you have anything to say. Lindsay? Yeah, I, heard, I just want to thank you. And I think this is more than ever so useful. And I'm excited for your, more of your work to come out because I know how many people it can help and just how it can help reshape uh, society. So thank you, Eric. This was very inspiring. And thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for tuning into the Cowfish Show. Check back for future episodes on raising consciousness, creating happiness, fulfillment, and love. And remember to find us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at The Cowfish Show.